You're listening to Larger Story Messages with Dr. Larry Crabb. For more teaching and resources, visit LargerStory.com. As I was sitting there during the first uh, presentation, I got my pen out and just jotted down some thoughts that were stirred. And I presume the number of thoughts have been stirred in your minds, and I just wanted to share a couple of thoughts stirred in mine and uh, see if that helps us maybe summarize a little of what we heard this morning. The, uh, the, the first verse that came to my mind as Anthony began talking about the Trinity was what the Lord said in John 17, I think it's verse 22, where he said uh, to the Father, he said, the glory that you gave me, I have given to others. I've given to my people. And I, I thought about that before, but it came back in a bit of a fresh way. And the reason it came back in a bit of a fresh way was we're, we're told in Colossians, a passage that uh, Anthony read this morning, that, uh, how did I, I write it down here, that, the, um, that God said that, uh, or Paul said um, in Colossians 1.27, that we have the assurance of sharing his glory. What's that mean? Jesus said, I've given them the glory that you've given me. Then Paul says that we have the assurance that we share in his glory. And then I thought about that in light of Isaiah 42, 8, where God says, I will not share my glory with another. What do you do with biblical contradictions? <laughs> Let me tell you how I study my Bible. I read it until I get confused and stop and think about it. And that lasts about a verse when I'm going through a text. But, but I thought about that this morning as, as Anthony was saying that the life of Christ is within us and uh, you know, that the Lord said that the glory you gave me that I've given to others, well, the Father gave the Son glory? Did that happen at a particular point? Because the Son was the eternal, glorious God, the second person of the Trinity. So what's he talking about? And the thought that occurred to me as I was, was pondering that this morning, um, I, thought, I asked myself the question, what does it mean in Romans when Paul says that we fall short of what? What's he talking about there? Anthony talked about relational sin this morning. We fall short of the glory of God. What is the glory we fall short of? Now listen, what is the glory we fall short of for which we're culpable? I'm not culpable, nor are you, of falling short of the glory of God as the infinite creator of the universe. I'm not, that's not wrong of me. That's, I'm a human being. I'm not God. So to fall short of the glory of God must not mean to fall short of his transcendent, sovereign, divine, creative glory that belongs only to God, a glory he will not share with another, the glory that entitles him to worship and no other should be worshipped except him. That glory is something that he will not share because I can never be worshipped. And if somebody wants to worship anybody but God, they're idolaters. But then Jesus said, I've given them the glory you've given me. What are you talking about? What is the assurance of glory that we have? What, what's he saying? What is the glory we fall short of that God holds us accountable for? And the answer has to be, the only way I can make sense of that confusing passage, is we fall short of the relational glory of God. We fall short of the way the Trinity relates to each other. Because when God made us in his image, I love the way Anthony put it this morning, that the whole idea that, um, that, 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 that God was the, the, the Trinity, they were looking at each other. I never quite thought of it that way before. They were looking at each other and say, let's make people like us. Let's make people not to be God, because no one is God but God, but let's make people who can relate the way we relate in our community. And let's invite them to join our community by loving purely and completely. And we all fall short of the glory of God. We fall short of the relational glory of God. What is the assurance? I also very much enjoyed Peter Kreif's comment uh, that Anthony mentioned this morning that we're drawn to the, to the, to the, to the splendor, to the beauty of, of truth, uh, the beauty of holiness, the splendor of truth. What's it all about? Um, the, the, the best novel that's ever been written in the minds of some people, the classic novel by Dostoevsky, Brothers Karamazov, uh, the hero of that book is a man named Father Zosima, who's the spiritual director in the, in the book. And, and Zosima, about halfway through the book, is recorded to have said this under Dostoevsky's writing, obviously. Father Zosima said, I'm often asked, what is hell? And Zosima answered, hell is the suffering of being unable to love. Now, if that's true, what's heaven? The delight of being able to love. 
And the Father gave the Son a glory that he did not have before the incarnation. Now, don't misunderstand me. He's the eternal, glorious God, glorious from before time began, never, never created, the uncreated Son of God, all that's as true as it can be. But when he became a human being, God gave him the glory of being able to reveal the character of God in human form. And that's what he's given me. He's given me the power to love, the ability to reveal the, the way the Trinity relates in human form. And I think that's what we're talking about this morning. What does it mean for me to be able to share the glory of God? Uh, not, in the, not, the, not the glory that he will not share, the glory of being worthy of worship. I'll never have that, and you never will either. But I do have the opportunity to reveal the glory of the way God relates. And that's what I'm called to. And I, I, I got to thinking about that a little bit more, and I, I, I thought about a couple of other things real briefly. As I listened to Anthony this morning, uh, is this life of Christ really in me? And the question that Bill was asking was, uh, there, there's, there's a crust over that. How does it get out? Um, my mind went to one of the things Lewis said. He said that, that the, the real reason, well, one of the major reasons why he believes in Christianity is because he longs in the deepest part of his being for what only Christianity offers. And he argues that if you have a longing within you, it only makes sense to make the assumption that the longing exists because there is a satisfaction for it. Rather interesting thought to me. I have no idea what it means, but I said it quickly. <laughs> well, there's, there, there's a longing in me that goes so far beyond the longing to have somebody else treat me in a certain way. There's a longing in me to love the way Jesus did completely sacrificially. But I don't get in touch with that very often. But let me tell you how I do get in touch with it. I believe the way to get in touch, to respond to Bill's question a little bit, and a thought that was provoked by his very important question, was to realize that if, if I'm willing to, to search for my center, that's a phrase I came up with about a year ago, and it's meant a lot to me recently. I want to I search for what is deepest within me. I want to search for this glory that the Father has given Jesus, which now he's passed on to me, that I fall short of every day, but the glory of being able to love the way Jesus loved. I want to search for that energy, that power, that life that's within me. And the way to search for it is to face how far short you fall of it every day. My wife and I just got back a couple days ago from a trip with our only grandson. We have five granddaughters and one grandson, and we take our kids away when they have reached a certain birthday on a trip. And we just got back from taking Jake, our 11-year-old son, to... Um, we kind of had in mind going to Arvada to a bowling lane. He had in mind going to San Francisco and to the Grand Canyon. <laughs> so we took a 33-hour train ride from Denver to San Francisco, which was so much fun for the first five hours. And we did all the San Francisco sites, the Giardelli Square, and then the Giardelli Square, and then the Giardelli Square. <laughs> if you know what that is, it's the best chocolate in the world. And then the Grand Canyon. And, um, and, and I got up um, one morning, just about four mornings ago, because one of my patterns seems to be, for the last four or five months, I wake up every morning at four, not by design, I just wake up. I lie there for two hours, and I struggle. And I decided to get up a couple mornings ago before Rachel and Jake got up. And about 6 o'clock I got up after two hours of just going through crazy thoughts. If you knew what was going on in me, you'd wonder, half you'd wonder if I'm a Christian. So I decided to write something I call Ruminations, a pilgrim on the last leg of his journey. I turned 67 a couple days ago. And, and I began to write. I wrote four pages of just my struggle to... To release God's love, is it, is it real? Um, does he even exist? I, don't, I look at the world and I say, God, what are you doing? There's so much that's wrong and you could be doing so much more and you're not doing it. And I've been a Christian now for 59 years and I, I still love so poorly. God, what is going on with you? And why aren't you working more deeply in my life? Is there anything to this Christianity thing at all? Is it all a mirage? Is it all myth? And, and for two hours I, I was thinking about that the other morning, as I do most mornings. So I got up and wrote about it in four pages worth of ruminations. And I read it to Rachel, and she went, oh, I haven't been praying for you enough, apparently. <laughs> and then I said, what would you think of my reading it to Jake? And she said, I think that's a good idea. And I actually prayed about it, and I thought, he's 11 years old. Can he handle this stuff? I don't want to discourage him. But the way Anthony put it this morning is, there's something alive in you that you want to 
move toward another with? And, and I sensed that, and I prayed, and I said, Lord, stop me if this is wrong for my grandson. But I, I read it to him in our hotel room a couple mornings ago. And it was four pages. That's not short. And his attention span is, you know, conditioned by our culture. But he, he listened for the four pages. He really did. At least he looked at me. I guess he was listening. <laughs> and when I finished, I said, Jake, what's going on in you? Sacred curiosity. And he literally, he said, uh, I'm processing it. <laughs> and I, and, and I, oh, I loved it. And I, you know, I kind of went further with it. I said, what, is that? What, what, what does that mean? And I forget his exact words, but this is close to what he said. He said, it's making me wonder if I really believe in Christianity just because you do, or if I really believe it. And I thought, you got a long life ahead of you, pal. <laughs> um, and I believe Jake and I met in a moment there. And I believe that what came out of me during that conversation with Jake as I read it, and he and I talked about it, and Rachel was involved, of course, we were chatting for probably 15, 20 minutes after I read it. And I, and I believe what, what came out of me was the right realization that when I, when I face what's really going on inside of me, and as I, as I get older, I, I really want to write far more authentically than I ever have before. I really do. Um, I, I want to reveal a little more because I believe that the more that I'm in touch with all that's going on in me, the, the more I discover that there's something beneath it all. And the more I get convinced, this Christian stuff is true. Christ is real, and he's alive in me. And I really want to bless my wife. And I really want to bless my grandkid. And I really want to move toward other people. That's really in me. It doesn't show all the time, obviously. But it's really in me. And I believe that the more I face my relational failure, how far short I fall of the glory of God, the more I face that, the more I get in touch with the longing to come closer to revealing the glory of God. And the more I become aware of that longing, the more I become aware that that really has been made possible. And the more I get in touch with the fact that, this, that the center of me really is alive with God. And... Um, that makes me think that maybe, maybe I can have some redemptive conversations more commonly than I do. And I'm kind of excited about that. That's what I heard. Is that's what I think about as Anthony was sharing this morning. So I wish you wouldn't talk anymore. I'm tired of thinking. <laughs> but let's keep thinking. And let's welcome Anthony back. Thanks. Thanks, Larry. I've heard you say that that phrase to me, reach into your core yeah. quite a bit. And yeah, it, it really, Larry, as you're talking, it really speaks to the, the deeper struggle of how sometimes I feel like I'm more like an atheist than I am a believer. Yeah, I'm limited of a living life as a like a functional atheist, kind of walking through life, more obsessed with how I'm going to improve my life, and and wanting God to somehow cooperate with that. I don't, I don't think I, I necessarily put that into words. It's just the way I operate at times, and I operate that like that so much, and. I, just, I love the story you shared with your grandson, and I, the word that came to me was actually courage, and the courage to share something like that. Because there's part of me that, that feels like if I share something like that, then maybe that will discourage. But in reality, what does my son want? What, is my, what do my daughters want? What does my wife want? What does my community want? Do they want a man who's got the answers? Or they, would they rather listen to somebody who, who really is getting more in touch with how much I just try to make life work and, and I miss God? And how by actually verbalizing that struggle... can really touch some hearts 
I'm sensing it touches your hearts because you struggle with the same thing. Someone was asking me about my preaching. I think it was you, Bill. And, and what, what the shift has been, I've been a pastor for 24 years. And um, Dallas, Dallas is really good at, at, at uh, training people expositionally. And, I, and I've really, you know, there, I have a lot of gratitude for that because there's, there's a place to really understand the content of the Bible. It's, it's important. And we're going to talk about Scripture later. But the answer that I gave Bill was that, um, that my preaching has changed because I feel like my, my heart's changing and, and my, my belief as to what community is is changing. That community is not about trying to make life run smoothly and just giving you a few things that, that you can apply from Scripture to take to your life to make it better which is a lot of what we fall into at times. But now it feels more like, you know, I read a passage and then I get struck by something. And, and maybe it'll jar me, maybe it'll... Um, typically it jars me more than it comforts me at first. <laughs> Have you guys read 66 Love Letters? If you haven't, I encourage you to read it. And uh, what I continued to hear as Larry struggled very honestly was, oh, the struggle's not going to go away. <laughs> it's there. It's really there. And as, as I approach the Bible, the Bible's not pragmatic. And I think I approach the Bible that way so often, pragmatically, like I need something here to make this work over here as opposed to being invited to share my struggle and somehow being invited to understand how that deep struggle as I become more aware of it can honor God more deeply if I, if I just have the courage to speak about it. So I think, I think the people at Trinity would say that I speak more out of that. Wouldn't you? Out of the, just grappling with, with Scripture and, and my own journey. So it's really more, more of a give and take and a, a wrestling with, with Scripture as to how, how do these words really make their way. They're supposed to penetrate our hearts. How do they make their way into our hearts? Let's just talk a little more uh, about what gets in the way. That's the next slide I have here. Can you hear me in the back? Should I speak up a little more? Okay, speak up a little more. Because the life of God already resides in our hearts, in our core being, we can speak to the energy within which hinders the release of the Spirit. We do this in order to cooperate with the Spirit's desire to release more of His life from within. So here the motivation of it. The motivation is to release more of the life that is within. So just a quick story about me and my friend Kent, who I've gotten to know over the last three or four years. We were at Gordon-Conwell. I think it was our third year, the, the year that Larry came to speak. And we were in this kind of spiritual retreat part of the, the course where we got in circles of eight and kind of life on life, just sharing and trying to listen to each other and, and, and hear what was going on in each other. And, and someone asked me a question while I was in that circle. I think it was about my father. I don't really remember what the question was, but he had, he had just died. And, and it was a question that, that some, somehow jarred something inside me. It kind of, kind of struck some kind of fear inside me. And I remember getting tight. And I don't think I, I said anything necessarily inappropriate or obviously inappropriate, but I just felt myself tighten up. She asked me a question about, you know, how I was doing with that, with my father's death. And and I just remember feeling tight. I think I even crossed my arms and just kind of tightened up and 
and said a few things, and, and then it just kind of went on, and, and, then, and then the time ended. And I remember going over to this chair that was on the side because we were, we were breaking for a while, and I was sitting down, I had my, my, my forearms on my knees, and, and I was just thinking about what happened and how that, that can happen inside of me where something jars me and then some fear takes over and, I, and, and somehow I, I close up. Or I, th- I think the, the gal who asked me the question certainly saw it. She didn't really say anything about it, but she certainly could feel the, the tightening going on inside me. And, and Kent came over to me and he said, what's going on? Sacred curiosity, you know. What's going on inside your soul? And I said something like, I don't know what just happened in that, in that group setting, but I feel like I just grieved the Spirit in some way. And I don't know how I did, but I just felt like I did. And we didn't talk about it right there. We were actually headed back from the retreat center up to to uh, the main campus in Hamilton, Massachusetts. And he said, so you, you want to talk about what, what you were saying before? And I said, well, I was thinking about talking to Larry about it. <laughs> <laughs> and he invited me to talk to him about it, which I thought was really great. And um, re- actually very unexpected. And I think, I think Ken is a man... Larry, I think you'd agree with this, that, that, that Kent's a man who's, who's learned to seize the opportunities when they arise. And I, I, I think in his heart, he just said, well, yeah, you could talk to Larry, but you can also talk to me. I've got the spirit, and I'd, I'd love to talk to you about it. And I went, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> talk to, let me talk to you, Kent. It felt very much like a warm invitation to, to speak about something that just really, really was a big struggle inside me. And so as I began to talk about it, we, he asked some questions about my life. And I remember talking about my family, um, my mother and my father, and just kind of the way they were. My dad was a very successful man, and he was very, very strong on the outside, but I think in a lot of ways very insecure on the inside. And, and I, I think as he... He saw me become a Christian. It really triggered a lot of things inside of him that over the years we battled over. And in, in the last two years of his life, we began to talk about. Uh, he went through some significant health problems in the last two years of his life. Uh, lost sight in one eye, uh, and then had a heart attack, which over the next two years was a slow death for him. And I think, you know, it was very hard for all of us, obviously, but but I think God was really had something in that for him. But my dad was a very, very strong man on the outside, talked very loud and very successful builder. And I never felt like I, I could really measure up to who my father was. And, and I think my mom's reaction to that, I wonder if she'll ever listen to this, what she'll think, is that um, she always tried to comfort me because my dad could be kind of hard on me. And, and I... And I, I kind of grew up in this, this tangled web of that. And I remember feeling when I was a kid, literally, as a boy, feeling like my mom kind of took care of me in ways that I wish, you know, I, I tried to put words to, but I couldn't put words to. And, and um And I think I, I think what happened, and as I was sharing this with Kent, he said, "So, so you react to 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 somebody who's taking care of you, perhaps, somebody who's trying to take care of you." He was trying to wrestle with it with me, and I, I said, "I think so. I think that gets to it." And I think when the gal asked the question about my dad, I felt like if I if I let her in on something deeper, that she'd try to take care of me. Now, there's two ways to look at that battle as I, as I think about life and, and, and the ways that it's... You know, I've just shared something with you that's an internal battle. 
Now that could be looked at in a psychological way where you know, the pain needs to be looked at and the pain needs to be taken care of and you know, I need to get free from my pain of that. Or it could be looked at in a very different way as if there's a deeper problem in my heart, maybe that needs to be addressed. And the way Kent put it in the car, and I vividly remember, he said, so really, in some sense, there's, there's a fist inside your heart that raises up at times that says, I will not be taken care of. And I thought, wow, that just really struck me as very important to think about. And I've thought about it since then. And I think I've been a little more aware of, because of that conversation, a little more aware of how I can get away, I can get in the way of the Spirit by seeking to allow a certain fear to control my heart. You know that passage in 1 John 4 that says perfect love casts out fear. And I don't think it means don't be afraid, but it means to to cast out the fear and as a controlling reality. Those are, I think those are Larry's words over the years, as something that controls you. And, and if I could have just thought about that fear in the moment and how I can be controlled by my fears, and that has something to do with the sin battle inside me, then maybe something else could have been released. But, but that has really remained with me. And I don't, I don't think I've, I've come to a place where now that I, I've, I've somehow gained victory over that battle, I think more, it's, it's more of an awareness of how that's still true inside me, that I can get in the way of the Spirit. And, and, and here's the, the neat thing about it was when he said those words to me, it wasn't like I got all offended. And I think we worry so much that we're going to offend each other when we talk about the sin battle inside of us. But in reality, because we're believers, we really long for someone to speak to the sin battle inside of us meaningfully so that the deeper life of the Spirit could be released. And that was the whole reason why we were having the conversation. That conversation literally lasted five minutes, maybe ten. And yeah, I had gotten to know Kent some, and I trusted him, and, and um, I think he, you know, in, in a lot of ways, has thought through those things for himself in ways that I hadn't, and I, I respected him for that. And, and, so, and so there was a natural sense of trust there. But think about it this way. Think about if he had just saw my pain. Think about if he had just seen my pain, he had, hadn't seen the deeper battle underneath it with the flesh and the spirit. And What would have happened there? He probably would have tried to be empathetic, with me and, you know, tried to, you know, feel my pain with me. I don't think that's necessarily bad. I I mean, I want people to know, you know, when I'm wounded, I I hope you're moved by my wounds and I want to be moved by yours. But I think he would have, you know, he, he would have felt empathy for me. He maybe would have tried to find some way where I could get free of my wounds. And the reason why I share that is I I think that that's a real big misconception in churches today. We we try to get free of our woundedness. Does God bring healing from wounds? I think so, to some degree. I think he does over time. But what's the deeper battle? If if for some reason, say that we're successful in some way, that, that... you know, he had given me some ways to, to get free from my wounds, maybe going to have a serious conversation with my mom about how perhaps she wounded me in some ways. And I think that would have been awful, by the way, <laughs> for my mother. Um, um, because my mom is a woman that now I, you know, she has a relationship with Christ and you know, she, I've, I've been coming to realize, and I think partly due to the fact that I'm, I'm seeing my own failure, that uh, she's a woman alive to God and um, who, a woman who really deeply cared for me.
So I think, I think I would have tried to get free of my pain. And then what would have been missed in that whole conversation is, I think he would have missed my deepest heart. I think Kent would have missed my heart, but he didn't. He, he found it. He, he found the battle in my soul and, and uh, he, he you know, gave me an invitation and opportunity to, to look at it a little more in terms of how it, how it, how it looks. And so... I think in the last year or two, I've been a little more. I look at Diane because Diane sees this more than I do, but a little more willing to talk about that which hurts me and and, and wounds me. Um, without feeling the the knee jerk reaction of oh, I just got to keep that held back because I don't want to be taken care of. Am I making any sense as I'm saying this? Are you, are you hearing what I'm, the battle going on, the deeper battle of the... And I think that, that fear inside me, that just, that, just that little moment where I just tightened up, I, I think I missed out on an opportunity to, to allow this, this woman to, who is curious about my life, I, I think I missed out an opportunity to give her a um, a sense of just what still hurts inside of me and yet at the same time how, how God is working to redeem something deeper than that that she could have been blessed by and that she could have maybe taken away and gone, oh, maybe there's a deeper battle in my soul that I need to fight. Maybe there's something there that, that I need to look at. Um, and here again, I, I just don't think it happens in isolation. I mean, these are all great thoughts, but how does it happen in relationship? It, it's not easy. It just, it's not easy to, to figure out entirely how it happens in relationship, but I, I think God works with us, and I, and I, I, I really believe he, he wants to work with us in that regard. And I think discernment, when we talk about discernment, we've got to talk about two things. Always two things, two realities in the heart. The reality of the life of God inside of us, that is the deepest. And the reality of the battle that is still there, the, the crust that is still in the heart. The hardness that we still face on a daily basis. So discernment has two parts to it. It's, I've heard that word discernment used a lot and you know, it speaks to the, to the movement of God and the life of God. But somehow, sometimes when I hear that word, it ignores that battle inside of us. And the tragedy of ignoring the battle is that the life of God can't be more deeply released unless we face that battle. It's like Larry was saying, how we face it every day. I mean, it's literally in our face and in our hearts every day. And I asked this question to Larry yesterday as we were sitting. I said, what's gripping you right now? Now, Larry's facing some things. He's, he's facing surgery. I think most people know that, that you're facing surgery for, for cancer. And it looks like there's, you know, a, a, a good prognosis. But, uh, he, you know, he's facing something pretty heavy. And, uh, you know, obviously Rachel is right, right in there facing that, that difficult situation with him, and they're struggling through that. And so I asked Larry the question, "What's gripping you these days?" And it was interesting the way he answered the question. And you know, he, he's not one to to um, to cover over his struggle with pain. I mean, he, he's been very authentic with me about his struggle with pain, and I really appreciate that. But he's always seen something deeper. And, and the words that he said were something like, "Tell me if I said them I said them correctly." You said something like. In order to stay alive to God, we need, we, we need to fight our deeper battle. That's what you said. And in order to fight, and then I asked a, a follow-up question, what does it mean then to fight the deeper battle? And his response was, well, if we're going to fight the deeper battle, 
we really have to be, in some sense, overwhelmed by the battle inside of us and the battle inside of other people. That when we're actually sitting and trying to have redemptive conversations, that we really have to come to grips with the fact that we're entering into very deep waters with people and that we're over our heads in some way. That we're overwhelmed. That passage back in, in, uh, in Revelation 2 about Philadelphia. I know you have little strength and I have placed an open door before you. How do those two fit together? As Larry was just speaking up here, I was thinking of... Um, Henry Nouwen's words about downward mobility. Do you remember those words? How the, the sanctification process is more like downward mobility, that, that, that God takes us down and down, and he, he shows us how overwhelmed we are with the battle inside our own hearts and how overwhelming it is in other people's hearts. So we, we go down to the point where we realize that we're we might be qualified in one sense, but in another sense, we're unqualified. That, we're, that it's, it's beyond us. It should overwhelm us. The conversations we have with people in one sense should really overwhelm us before we say anything. That we're in a battle that, 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 that's bigger than us. And, and therefore, we can find dependence on God and, and not react so quickly to what we think might help another person. And I think that would lead to more sacred curiosity about people. If we were more humbled by the whole battle in our own lives. And so I just greatly appreciate the the desire in my my friend and my mentor and 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 in others that I know in my church and to fight that deeper battle with me. I think John once actually came up to me in, uh, we were at David's house and we were playing pool in his basement and I was sharing some struggle with you and, and you said something like, um, well, you should, you should talk to somebody about that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but I loved it because, well, and I, this is what I love about John is that, John, you, you, you ask the questions. You really do. You get curious about people. And I think you have a sense of how overwhelming it, it can be to ask people questions. And, and we actually had gotten to that moment because you asked me the question. You asked me how I was doing. I wasn't doing all that great. And then you made that, that statement, and we both kind of laughed at it, I think. And I said, well, shoot, you're right here. <laughs> Why don't we have a conversation together? And, and so that's what we're fighting for with, with each other, to believe that it's actually, the life of God is actually in John because he's got the Holy Spirit inside of him, and he can move with me in, into my battle. And it happens in, and it can happen in ordinary, everyday conversations with believers. It's not meant for experts. It's meant for everyday believers. And if we stick in there with each other, I think we can, we can move into that battle a little more. So where are you guys right now? <laughs> Talk about that a little bit. If you have a question, I will try to repeat it or, or a comment. Where, where are you, what are you thinking about as I'm, as I'm speaking? Yes. It seems like the scenarios that you're talking about, if I understand you correctly, there's a willingness on both parts in a redemptive conversation mm -hmm. to go to that deeper level. Let me just repeat that so people can hear it. She's saying, it seems like, as you're speaking, that there's a willingness on both parts from both people to move into the deeper waters 
of the battle with each other? And I would say absolutely yes to that question. Yeah, there is. And, and there's something about having that. And shoot, Larry has been my mentor for years. But the thing that I have loved about our relationship is that it has always felt two-way. I think I've been a little more terrified to move into his journey, maybe, because he's a man who's a little bit ahead of me. And it's taken a little bit of courage and trial and error, I think, on my part, just to understand what it means for me to move into Larry's battle with him. Because, you know, there is part of me, is when I sit with him, it feels very unqualified. You know, what does it mean for me to move into his battle? He's moved so much into my battle. So, so, but there's always been a two-way. There's always been a, a, uh, an openness inside of him to allow me to enter into that, however feeble I may feel in that at times. But I think that's very important as we talk about redemptive conversations, that we give the Holy Spirit a two-way flow. So it doesn't have to just go one way. But that at least there's the opportunity for him to go the other way. And, and, and that, that really speaks to the whole pilgrimage idea, the people walking with God, walking with God together, the sense of, so I'm, you know, I'm the pastor, but yet I'm walking with my friends here. I, you know, pastor is not somewhere up here. It's a calling, but it's more of a calling to walk with people, and that's no different than your calling. In one sense, you know, you're, you're called to walk with people. Jesus walked with people. He got into a network of relationships and moved into conversations, and we get glimpses of those conversations in Scripture. That's, that's the vision for us, that we walk with people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, both parties are wanting to enter in, but sometimes don't we act out of our own desires and the other person is not... Maybe we open up the conversation, but they're not drawn into it and, and then what do we do? Okay. So let me see if I can repeat this well. So if you're in a conversation with a person and they're not necessarily wanting the same thing that you're wanting, they don't have a, a sense of the same same battle or the same sense of redemptive conversation, what does it mean to talk with someone in that respect? Is that a good way of asking the question? What's it mean to be with somebody who's resistant to what you're hoping to, to touch inside of them? Um, and are we acting out of our own desire then? Yeah, and are we acting, what's going on inside of us at that point? Let's look at a verse real quick because I, I, I think this verse speaks to that. Uh, Ephesians 3.20. And actually, I'm going to read it out of the message. So I, I, think, I think the passage speaks to it a little bit. Ephesians This is what it says here. And I've really actually thought about this in terms of redemptive conversations. God can do anything you know far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. And here's the part that stuck out to me. And Peggy, I I think this might get to what you're asking. Is He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us his spirit deeply and gently within us. So the word that came to my mind when you asked that question was, how do we be with people who are resistant to what we're saying? And, and how do I discern what's going on inside of me? If I, if I at all feel pushy, then I don't believe I'm moving with the spirit. 
uh, the Spirit doesn't push His way into people's lives. And so that might be an indication that you just need to back off and, and wait. God's and, coming, that's called redemptive shutting up. <laughs> <laughs> redemptive shutting up. That's part two to this seminar. Did you know that? <laughs> redemptive shutting up, yeah. There is a place to keep quiet. There sure is. And, and perhaps our silence in those moments speaks to, well, you know, I'm willing to wait. And, you know, when people feel pushed in a, a conversation, even if, it, even if you might reveal truth, what about the way you do it? That's the, whole, that's the wonderful message of Peterson's book, The Jesus Way. It's not just about the words that you say, but it's the way you say the words. How do they come out of you? Are you moving with, with the movement of the Spirit? Yeah, question in the back or comment. Even, yeah. Is a Yeah. And waiting. Yeah. That has been like I've just seen the impact of that over and over and how how they long for that again. That's 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 really the first thing that Jesus did. What what she just said was the the whole idea of just being present with people and being willing to to be present with them until they're ready to speak until they're ready to say something and, and being curious about people until they're, they're ready to say something more. And that really does take discernment, doesn't it? That, that really, that's really hard uh, work to be doing as a believer to think about what it means to really move with the gentle movement of the Holy Spirit. The unforced rhythms of grace is the way the message puts it. And yeah. That's, that's, we really need to think about that much more. We're going to take two more, and then I'm going to let Larry come on up. So, yeah. Uh, my question, uh, this has continued to be a question this morning for me, is you've talked about being a powerful man. Mm -hmm. And so we all probably have a definition of what that's felt like in our lives and mm -hmm. from other people. And I, I just like to hear your definition about being a powerful man or a powerful woman in, in the definition you're talking about. Her question is, um, I've talked about being a powerful man. What is the definition? What does that look like to be a powerful man? What does it look like to be a powerful woman? One sense, I want Diane to speak to that. I don't know if you would. What, how would you say I've become more of a powerful man? Can you speak to it? I, putting you on the spot here, honey. Here, here, just speak into this. Do that. Say that again. It's worth saying again. Uh, for us, I think as a church, as we talk about masculinity and femininity, um, a, a man who can move into his world, and of course, you know, this is not information that we created ourselves. We've heard this from other people yeah. in this room. Um, but uh, yeah, so for um, a man to move gently into his world and for a woman to warmly invite, that's, that is really the phrase we use and how... As women, we're created in the image of God, but we can, you know, our femininity is really reflected when we warmly invite others and they see the beauty that's created by God in us. And for, for men, as you move, just the movement in and of itself it speaks to masculinity. And there's also a place to talk about the gentle movement, like Diane spoke about. And I feel like in, just in my marriage, and Diane would say this, that there's ways that I've moved in, in our marriage that have been not good, you know, where I get very pushy. <laughs> and that's not of the spirit. I have to repent of that and, and, and learn to repent of that. And, and, and what does it mean to gently move but move with strength at the same time? I, I think that's a tension that every man in this room has to deal with. 
because it's hard to know what that means. And that's why we need to walk together in a, into redemptive conversations. So, Kevin, one more, and then I'm going to get Larry come on up so we can break for lunch. Yep. Speak a little louder if you could. I know you don't have a mic. Yeah, downward mobility. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well Kevin and I Kevin is new to our church and um, you know Kevin has felt isolated in many ways and we were actually having a conversation during a downpour the other day in my car and uh, we just talked about how he's, he's come to a place where He's really seeing the, the value and the importance of being in com- a community that is willing to wrestle through some of the things we're talking about today. And so in that sense, yeah, that we need that. And maybe that doesn't speak to the downward part of it, but it does speak to the essence of relationship and community and, and all that. Yeah, yeah, we, and going back to what, what we were saying before, you know, we can try to work through our own stuff by ourselves, but that's not how it was meant. It was meant to be done in relationship. Thanks for listening to Larger Story Messages with Dr. Larry Crabb. To learn more, visit LargerStory.com.